like that verse, there are very, very many references to the people of God in the Old and New Testament as sheep. I'll just read a couple of them. Psalm 103, know ye that he is God. It is he that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Matthew 9, 36, this is when Jesus is speaking. Um, when he, referring to Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they were fainted. Another version says they were persecuted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. On John 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And later on in that same chapter, in verses 15 through 17, Jesus says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? I'm sorry, that's not the same one. This is um, actually one of my favorite scriptures. Um, and I don't know why. I think it's poignant. And it really reveals two things. It reveals the heart of Jesus toward Peter. And probably more importantly, it reveals Jesus' heart towards us. He says to, to John, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Referring to the fish. Because what had happened was, after Jesus' ascent, um, come back, after the um, resurrection, but not before he had left. Simon and John, or Simon looked at John and said, hey, let's go fishing. As though they were going back to their old lifestyle. Just, you know, okay, that was a great time with Jesus. And so Jesus, the resurrected Christ, approaches them, has breakfast with them, and then he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Referring to the fish. And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. And he said to him again a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I love this verse because, again, Simon had, had denied Jesus three times. Three times Jesus had asked him, do you love me? And three times Jesus linked the truth of that love to what was closest to Jesus' heart, and that was his sheep, us. There are also, likewise, many references uh, to God and Jesus being shepherds. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible, if not rivaling John 3.16, is this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. What's remarkable about this, I think, is because of who wrote it. It was David. David was no meek character. It was once says in the Bible that people would say Saul has killed his thousand enemies and David his ten thousand. So David was a fierce warrior renowned in the land. He'd kill Goliath with one stone. However, here we see his heart submitting to God and meekly as a sheep being led by God. 
Another verse, Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And later on he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. In Hebrews, the writer beginning his benediction says this, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, referring to Jesus. First Peter refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. So why is this comparison? Most of us know the answer. But why not cattle? We are the cattle of his pasture. I think the reason is cattle left on their own do just fine, thank you very much. They don't need the cowboys. The cowboys only show up when it's time to brand the calves and to drive the herd to the market. But otherwise, cattle are just fine wandering around on their own. They can fend off the predators, most of them. Not so much sheep. We know sheep are defenseless. They're helpless. When left on their own, they'll wander into danger. They need a shepherd. They require the shepherd. In the world, and maybe some here may not find that very flattering, to be compared to a sheep. Um, certainly, if you were to tell somebody that he, a third-degree black belt, that he was comparable to a sheep, you probably would get some blowback. But Christians understand the spiritual reality of this comparison. But I think there's more to it. There's more than just lies on the surface. Let me tell you something about sheep. When I lived in Alaska, um, I, I was teaching in a Christian school, and before the semester started, a friend of mine came up to me and said, hey, I need to put some meat on my table. Would you go with me sheep hunting? And I said, sure. Had backpack. And so we, we, they, um, the place we went was called Anthracite Ridge. And I'll explain, I'll describe the, the, the terrain a little bit. You went up a really steep mountain that was all forested with birch and aspen trees. And by this time, they were turning yellow because it was towards the fall, which in Alaska is like September. And then above the tree line, the, the landscape changed. It broke into a gently upsloping plain that was basically barren of trees, but there were blueberry bushes and various scrubs and grassland, I guess tundra. And then the ridge itself went up very steep. It was all broken rock. Um, some of it was sheer cliffs. And the very highest precipice, there was this big rocky outcrop, just broken, jagged, rugged territory. So as we come up out of the trees and up and onto that upward plain, and that took the better part of a day to get up that far, I'm looking around on the plain for the sheep. I'm thinking, well, they're going to be out there grazing like sheep do. And my friend goes, oh, no, they've seen us. And I go, what? And he pointed up to that high, rocky peak, and I saw three little white dots. Now, he was carrying a rifle. I was carrying a, a camera with a 500-millimeter telephoto lens. It looked more like a howitzer than it looked like a camera. And I picked up that lens, and I looked through it, and I saw these three sheep looking down at me. Let me tell you something. In their native habitat, sheep, don't, sheep do not need a shepherd. Thank you very much. 
But you bring them down into a place where they were not intended to be, not adapted for, as we have done when we domesticated the sheep, they're helpless. Their instincts that work really well for them in their natural environment don't work so well. They're looking for danger down below. And so out comes a grizzly bear. Done. End of story. They're not fast. In the mountains, where they live in very rocky terrain, they can jump. Not quite as good as goats, but they're good. They can jump from rock to rock. They, if they're being pursued, which is hard to do because they can see you. Sheep have binocular vision. So they were looking at me. They saw every detail. They probably saw the look on my face when I saw them looking at me. But that doesn't help so much down on the, on the grasslands where we, where we have them. And so the truth is that the reason the sheep are so helpless and the reason they need protection of the shepherd is they're where, they're, they're where they do not belong. And so it is with us. Like sheep that were relocated in an alien environment, we too live in a world and in a spiritual condition for which we were never intended. In, in his book, um, C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, wrote three books referred to as a space trilogy. And it, I find it interesting because C.S. Lewis was reaching for a truth that I think evades us. In the first book, called Out of the Silent Planet, C.S. Lewis imagines an alien race living on Mars that, has, that are very much like us. They enjoy the same things. But they have not fallen. They're still in grace with God. And what he describes, what he depicts as a people that do not allow their hungers and desires to lead them, but rather they patiently wait for the provision of God. In the second book called Perlandria, C.S. Lewis again imagines the Adam and Eve of Venus, who also have not yet been or have not been seduced. They are still walking with God. But there's an invading Satan from Earth has landed on Venus along with the, the, the main character. And throughout the book, this character, this Satan, is trying to seduce Eve. And one of the things she does, or he does, is that he says to her, you know, God at that time would tell her, go eat from this tree today, go eat from that plant tomorrow, and he would lead her from place to place. What this enemy of her soul was doing was saying, no, go back to that tree. That was really good, wasn't it? He was trying to get her appetite to rule her over God. But on this side of heaven, we really will never know what it's like to walk and talk with God in the cool of the evening, to be completely, perfectly obedient to him. But rather, we live in a fallen state, on a fallen world, separated from God, where like displaced, displaced sheep, our instincts work against us. You know, the, 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 the temptation that was dangled before Eve was this. Ye shall be as gods. In the desire to become God, our spiritual ancestors threw God down off the throne of their hearts. 
But much to our dismay, what took that throne was our instincts, our flesh, our appetites. And it didn't go very well for us. Within just one generation after the fall, murder was introduced to the world when Cain slew Abel. And it went downhill from there. It got so bad that at the time of Noah, God wiped out most of the human race in a flood because they had gotten so wicked. Galatians 5.19, Paul describes the works of the flesh in this in this passage, the, fle- the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and wit- witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, which is why Cain slew Abel, by the way, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, and that's probably not a full list. Our instincts, like the instincts of sheep that have been displaced, do not do us any favors. But God didn't give up on us. Beginning, and I'm sure that that we don't know the full story of God's interactions with the human race, by the way. I don't think that he was only focused on Israel. But we only have a record of that. Because out of Israel came our, our Savior. And so God calls himself the God of Israel. He identifies with them. But we see in, his, in the Old Testament how God shepherded the people of Israel. He used the law. He used the prophets. He also used things like captivity. We know that it was better, but it wasn't great. The problem was that no matter what God could do from the outside, still reigning in our hearts, in their hearts, sitting on the throne was their flesh, their appetites, their desires. And so when it came, push came to shove, even the best men fell away. Look at King David. God describes King David as a man after God's own heart. But look what he did. Committed adultery. Committed murder. Not pretty. Not pretty. We call it sin. And we think of sin as basically doing something you're not supposed to do. But I think it's much deeper than that, and I think it's much more serious than even that. The sin is that we have, even now, you and I, have, as king of our hearts, of our flesh hearts, our appetites, not God, and we can't displace it. We could not do anything about it. We inherited that from our parents, Adam and Eve, and try as we might, the king always gets his way. And I'm talking now about the flesh, not the spirit, because we know in our world, Jesus came, the Lamb of God. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus also is described as a sheep, but for a much, much different reason. 
the term Lamb of God harkens back to the Passover when the Jews were instructed to take an unblemished lamb, slaughter it, and wipe the blood across their doorposts and along, along the lintel, I think they call it. And the angel of death, who was going to take the firstborn of every family, whether it be the pharaoh or the lowliest slave, the firstborn would be slayed. But if you had that blood, you were protected. So the Lamb of God is the perfect sacrifice. And I believe it's not hard to understand, and I don't understand why. When I used to have Passover feasts with Robin's family, how they could miss that. How they could miss it. But God, Isaiah tells us why. God would blind their ears, blind their eyes, deafen their ears, lest they lest they uh, believe and repent. And Isaiah asked, well, how long, God? And he said, until the cities are without inhabitant and the places of desolation are many in the land. But he did put a limit on it. There will be a time when their eyes are opened. And that Passover feast will be something to be around, I think. So we have now been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has joined with us, with our spirit, in the battle over the throne in our hearts. We now have an ally within us, the shepherd within us, to try to take that, our flesh, off the throne and replace the throne with God. And we know that it's an imperfect work at this point. But nevertheless, we have other names now. We're not just referred to as sheep. First Peter, we're referred to as a chosen people, a royal priesthood. In 2 Corinthians, verse 5, 21, we are called the righteousness of God. In Matthew 5, verses 13 and 14, we're called the salt of the earth, the light of the world. In John 3, 2, or 1 John 3, 2, we're called the children of God. 1 Corinthians and many other places in Paul's writings were called the body of Christ. Ephesians 2, 6 proclaims this. God, and there's some more verses in between, that basically says God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So already, our spirit has been placed back up on the mountain where we were intended to live. But it's interesting, though. We read that verse, and we envision maybe that that's up there somewhere. It's not. It's right in here. The Holy Spirit is God. He is seated with us here in the heavenly places. And so, our spirits have been restored to where we were always intended to dwell, in the presence of God. But our flesh is still fallen. Our instincts still seek to lead us to destruction. Still, we must, like sheep, accept our great shepherd who leads us through his word and his Holy Spirit until we are finally home where we truly belong. Let's pray. Father, um,
There are not enough words to express our gratitude to what you've done. As we learned in Sunday school this morning, the Holy Spirit was given as a seal to us, as a guarantee of our inheritance. But seal also means that we are owned by you and we cannot be taken away from you. And for that, Lord, we owe everything. I pray, Lord, that as we go through this week, each one of us would be that obedient sheep and follow you where you lead in humility. And, Lord, I also pray that we would also own those other titles that you've given us, recognizing how much you love us and how much we should love you. Amen.